I want to invite you to join with me and uh, let's turn together to uh, Matthew's Gospel, uh, this time to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew 14, as we look at uh, this, this very important teaching of, of Christ, that's the teaching that is set in uh, the, the circumstances that uh, the Lord provided for a wonderful uh, teaching. You know, uh, thinking back, as many of us who are a little bit older, I guess, can do, thinking back to September 11, 2001, most people know that uh, date. You know, I, I remember uh, where Amy and I were at that time. I remember hearing the horrific news uh, uh, that had just occurred. We were um, in a very quiet place, in a sense. We were in Glacier National Park. Uh, we were at a hotel or uh, one of the lodges there, and, and, and we walked by and saw was, there was a bar there and saw the TV on and, and stood and, and watched uh, all that happened. And I remember the effect that it had on, on me at the time. Just this horrific news, news of, of evil that had occurred, but also something very, in a sense, personal that had occurred uh, in, in our world, personal to certainly those in the, in the U.S. And, and I remember having this need to, to get away, to kind of withdraw from all the chaos and to, to think and to pray. And, and I took my Bible with me and I went partway, we were on a, a lake, many glacier lake, and, and I went partway around the lake and I sat there on a rock, and the water was perfectly calm, and uh, it was perfectly quiet. And what a contrast it was uh, for me to uh, what had, what I had seen that had taken place and was taking place. And uh, I, I remembered that it helped greatly for me. It helped to remind me. I was a new Christian at this point, and it helped to remind me that that God is in control. And I remember gaining a lot of, a lot of comfort uh, from that knowledge, that understanding. You know, as we, as we open up to this passage, this is, and this is maybe dangerous to say, uh, but this is the sort of thing that we seem to see with the Lord Jesus. I, he, he had just heard news that was absolutely horrific. We, we heard about it uh, last week in the passage that we were looking at that uh, John the Baptist uh, had been killed and in a, in a terrible way his, his head had been cut off and placed on a platter and paraded around a, a, a platter that's designed for, for food. Uh, and Jesus heard that. And, and so at the beginning of this passage, we, we hear it. Now, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. Now, what I said is dangerous. I don't want to compare that too much to, to myself. But at the same time, uh, it does make sense. You know, it, it fits that Jesus in his humanity, uh, that, that he at this time got away uh, from the crowd, got away from uh, everything else, and... Uh, and, and needed that time, or perhaps we need to see him doing that. But what we do get is a, is a very personal picture of the Lord Jesus as, as human, 
And we've got to, we need to see that probably more than that we see that He is deity because so often uh, we don't see His true humanness there. But we get a picture in this passage that we're going through today in a couple of places uh, of Him in that way. One who is able to sympathize with us in our weaknesses. Yet we're also going to see Him in just a moment uh, in this state he sees this crowd of people, most of whom it appears had been with him before. Huge crowd of people. Um, and he didn't just say, no, not right now. You know, this is, this is my time. Uh, this is my quiet time. I'm troubled over something right now. But no, he, he goes to them. And he serves them. And he provides for their needs. Uh, what a wonderful thing to see. And so I, I want us to, as we look at this passage, to see Jesus uh, in that way going to these people. Now this is undoubtedly, we're, we're going to be chapter 14, verse 13, begin reading there. This is an important passage. This is one of the few passages, you know, apart from the, the death and the resurrection of Christ, uh, a couple of others, but that, that that's found in all four gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which is often uh, different. Uh, and, and, you know, we can surmise a number of different possible reasons. I, you know, I think one main reason, perhaps, that this is seen by the gospel writers as being so important is that it depicts Jesus out of a heart of love uh, for people, serving them and providing for them in order to meet their need, which ultimately we're going to see this, this need and satisfy their hunger. Uh, you know, we've been talking about the, the kingdom of heaven uh, over the past several weeks. Uh, one thing we haven't focused on a whole lot is the king himself. Uh, this morning, as we look at this passage, it, it changes because we see Him, the Lord Jesus, in all of His grace, in all of His mercy, caring for, providing for uh, the people. Um, so again, Matthew chapter 14, beginning in verse 13 and reading through verse 21. This is God's Word. Now, when Jesus heard this, that's the news about John the Baptist, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now, when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place. And the day is now over. Send the crowds away. Go into the to, to go into the villages and to buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, we have only five loaves here and, and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds, and they all ate and were satisfied. 
and they took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. Please join me for a word of prayer. Father, we thank you this morning uh, for this word that we can know that it is truth and that we can know that you provide it for our edification, our our building up. Uh, We pray for your help uh, that we would see and understand this accurately uh, as you have intended uh, for us to understand it. Uh, And we pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes and our hearts to be able to take it and and apply it uh, in our own lives. Lord, that it may become effective, effectual, uh, as we live our lives day in and day out. We pray for your help. In Christ's name, amen. All of us here who have children at home or have had children in in our home, uh, maybe even have been a brother or sister to to a child who has been a baby at some point. We've learned to discern Some better than others have had more experience, but we've learned to discern the cry of hunger. You know, early on before before Callie came home, Amy and I had never been parents, of course, before, and there was somebody who gave us, I don't know, maybe it was training, or somebody gave us uh, uh, some advice. Uh, They said there's something that needs to be ever-present in your mind uh, when your baby uh, comes home, and it's these three words, and you can you can cycle them again and again. Hungry, sleepy, dirty. Hungry, sleepy, dirty. And they said that'll cover something like 90% of the cries. And I, I'll be honest, I think that was one of the best pieces of advice uh, of that nature that, that we ever received, because I can remember coming home. We were in the hospital for a long time, but then all of a sudden coming home, Callie was very, very small, but uh, when the when the cries began to came, to come and we looked at each other, I think as any new parents do, uh, and said, "What do we do now?" Uh, and, and so those three words, you know, just the reminder uh, is is very helpful uh, that this is important, and they're in the order I believe that is correct. You know, hungry, sleepy, dirty, hunger comes often and, and regularly, and, and it's easy for a new parent to overlook that. Uh, and um, it continues on, doesn't it? That, that cry for hunger. Uh, it continues on uh, even after they are infants and they, they, they grow up. Uh, in fact, for all of us, there, it may change in the ways that we do it, but there's always that cry for hunger that's, that's there. Uh, you know, from the pulpit, sometimes I can see that as the, the sermon might grow long uh, in people's eyes. You know, the, the Lord so often uses that which is common in our lives, the things that we experience on a day-to-day basis, and the things, therefore, that we know so well. He uses these commonplace things to express and help us to understand greater spiritual truths. So take marriage. Commonplace, uh, many of us here are or have been in, uh, in marriage or we've been in a family, the children who are here, you know, in a family, perhaps where you, we, we have parents that are married. And, 
And so we learn through that, right? We learn about the interactions of, of husbands and, and wives. Uh, we learn that when there is uh, selfishness and pride and, and, and sin there, uh, marriage that's occurring not according to God's plan, we, we see the troubles that occur. Uh, but we also are able to get a sense of, when we're around marriage on a regular basis, at least a sense of the inherent beauty and the inherent value of marriage. You know, the joys and the, the comforts that are to be found in marriage. Uh, the provision for the family uh, as children are raised. Uh, and that's when it's lived out according to God's design. Yet the Lord has not given marriage, for instance, as an end in and of itself. And that comes to, as a surprise, I think, to many. But in God's Word, we, we find, no, there, there's a greater spiritual truth that He desires for us to see and to know in that. It's, it's a picture of Christ and His church. And, and we can go to Ephesians chapter 5 especially and learn about that further. Uh, but that's true in other areas as well. And, and what is more commonplace than marriage? Far more in our lives. Well, food. You know, we all get hungry on a regular basis. Uh, and uh, it, it happens all the way through our lives, from infant stage all the way up until we draw our last breath. Uh, you know, one thing that we know inherently inside, we need food. Uh, it's, it's the one thing that we must have in order to be satisfied. Well, that's, that's what Jesus' teaching is about in this passage. Uh, but, I, but I want us to recognize at the outset uh, that He's not just teaching about food here. Uh, the disciples made that mistake. Uh, and we, we see it in one of the Gospel accounts at one point. And uh, after they've been taught and they, they've seen, well, they continued to speak about it as if Jesus was just teaching about food. No. There's a far greater spiritual truth that's here. And that greater spiritual truth at the heart of it is that you must feed upon Christ in order to be truly satisfied. Uh, look, at, look at verse 20 in the passage. Uh, they've been given uh, the food by Jesus and, and as we'll see, a miraculous way. Verse 20, And they all ate and we're satisfied. You know, there, there are many, many other things in this world that a claim to be that which will satisfy. This is what you need in particular that will bring that satisfaction to you. And we all know that there's some level of truth in that. There, in all of those things, uh, depending on what we're looking for, there, there's some way in which we may be satisfied. It may last for some period of time, at least in our minds, that, that we're, we're, we're met, our needs are, are met through this, but ultimately, uh, all of it fails. All the idols that are out there will fail. There is nothing else that can truly satisfy us at the center of our beings apart from Christ. Yet even for those of us here who may know that to be true, uh, we may know that well. We may pray about it and think upon it often, uh, yet we are constantly tempted, aren't we, uh, to begin to make something else 
come nearer and nearer to the center and to be our place of, of satisfaction. It's, it's so easy for us to gravitate back to other things. You know, sort of like, once again, food. Uh, it is not a bad thing. I know there are some who may differ here, but it is not a bad thing to have McDonald's every now and then. Uh, every now and then, a, a Big Mac, fries, soda. It's not a terrible... Now, some people may see David smiling, may have certain health difficulties that, that prevent that, okay? Uh, but in general, for most, it's not, uh, uh, not going to do irreparable damage. But if you have it day after day after day, so that it becomes a staple or even the staple in your diet, then at some point... Your doctor is going to have something to say to you about cholesterol and other things and about what's going to happen if you continue in that way. Well, similarly, you know, we, can, we can begin to meet this hunger that we have inside in other ways. But we need a reminder, don't we, that we are susceptible to beginning to fill ourselves with other foods. And so I'd ask you, if you know yourself, what is it that you're tempted to, or maybe even you do, to jealously guard within your life? It might be your time. It might be private time, alone time, or it might be time spent with, with family. Uh, what is it that you're unwilling to part with it? It's become a non-negotiable. Could be financial security. It could be your job. Could for some it can be exercise, keeping your body at a certain level of fitness. What what is it that that you jealously guard over and you say, well, other things, yes, that no, can't touch that. Remember the uh, rich young ruler that Jesus came to um, and the Lord Jesus you know, went through the litany of things and said, yes, well, you, you, you do right. But then when it came to that one thing, which in his case was uh, financial security, was money, he went away sad. Why did he go away sad? Because it was a non-negotiable. It was central. You know, none of those things that I mentioned earlier and, and so many more uh, are inherently bad or sinful until they become central, until they become non-negotiables in our life and their lives and they're elevated in that way. Well, Jesus said, uh, I am the bread of life. Now, whoever feeds on me, he will also live because of me live. And he was talking eternally. You know, if you feed on Christ, you will find true satisfaction. Doesn't mean your trials will go away, but it does mean rightly live that you'll have joy in the midst of trials. You also have that, that peace that you really can't understand. Uh, you can't understand it because you've experienced this life and you, you've sought after that peace in the past and tried to find it in other ways, but ultimately it's always been missing. 
Uh, you know, there was an article I read the other day in which the, the author uh, spoke about a, a Jewish friend of his that gave this definition of shalom, uh, which is the Hebrew word for, for peace that we see all the way through God's Word that ultimately centers upon Christ. And here's the definition. Nothing out of place. Everything as it ought to be. Don't we want to have lives like that? We live our lives. Nothing out of place. Everything as it ought to be. You know, that is what feeding upon Christ looks like. And that's what the Lord Jesus, out of this passage, wants his disciples to see, not just the twelve, but all of his disciples. That it's only in him uh, that we'll have food that never stops giving. Food that overflows in abundance. Food that will always satisfy. He says you must feed upon Christ in order to be truly satisfied. Everything else is temporary. Everything else will leave us in want and in need. Uh, there are three ways that I'd like to briefly look at how we see the Lord Jesus providing for and, and, and meeting that hunger that we have. Uh, first of all, it's His readiness to give us that food. Uh, secondly, it's, it's His resources, His resource that He uses for giving us that food. Or you might, might say the means that He uses. Uh, and finally, His miraculous work in giving us that food. Uh, his readiness, resource, miraculous work. Uh, so the first thing, His readiness, the, the first thing that we see in this account and in so many others is Jesus' heart, really. It's His readiness, His, his eagerness, we might say, to go to the people and to serve them, to love them. You know, in accounts like this, I, I think we expect to see that Jesus saw the crowd coming toward Him. And He had been with the crowd maybe a couple of days, past two days before, and, and He had sought solace. And, and we, we almost expected Him to say, you know, Jesus saw the crowd and He went the other direction to escape from them. But no, it's, it's quite the opposite, isn't it? Uh, we read in verse... Uh, verse 14. But when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. You know, in, in other accounts, we see that the, this, this great crowd followed him up on a hillside. Uh, now it's not what we today call a mountain. You may see that word used, but a hillside. It was a, a desolate place. And, and we also see that he not only healed... Uh, all these masses of people uh, amongst them healed, but he also taught, and ultimately he also fed. And so an important question that uh, comes to us, why? You know, why did Jesus do that? Well, we're given an answer here. It says he had compassion on them. And Jesus had just heard about this horrific loss of his, his cousin, uh, his friend, his, his partner in ministry, the one who was prophesied to go before him. Uh, this you know, terrible act that had been uh, meted out against him. Uh, but at the same time, we know that Jesus 
knew the big picture. He wasn't thrown off by this. He, he knew the evil that exists in this world. Uh, he knew about sin. He, he knew about the opposition to the gospel. But when he saw this crowd of people, he also knew that they didn't see the big picture. He knew that they were blind, that they had no one to, to tell them. They had no one really to, to show them, to lead them. You know, in Mark's uh, account of this, uh, it says that Jesus had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. His point being this, that Jesus saw and He knew this people. He knew their condition. He knew their lost estate. He knew what they were headed toward. And He cared. And we could say, I think rightfully so, that His heart went out to them. You ever been in a place in which you were really destitute? You were at a low point. It could have been materially. Uh, could have been uh, with a sense of depression inside. Uh, and at that point, there was someone there. Someone who saw, they understood, they, they, they sensed, they, they saw your need, at least to some extent, uh, and they responded to it. And especially if you could see that, that that happened, but there was no ulterior motive there. Uh, you may have heard somebody use this phrase before, everybody's got an angle. Uh, and, and, and what that phrase means is that uh, when, when somebody does something that may seem to be good, well, there, there's something else going on inside. There's a selfish motive that's there. Well, that phrase is born out of the world in which we live. That phrase is born out of experience. There's a lot of truth to it, but this is different. Uh, with Jesus, there is no angle like sheep without a shepherd. He knew that the people would, would, would wander, wander aimlessly without understanding and then perish. So his heart went out to them. But recognize what Jesus also knew about this people. Uh, we see it especially drawn out in, in John chapter 6 in that account there that, that many of this people, even most of this people, would ultimately turn against him. They would turn back. They would no longer walk with Him. They would set themselves against Him. And yet, what we see is that that doesn't deter Jesus. He has this knowledge. He has this understanding. He knows what's going to happen. And yet, He has compassion on them. He healed their illnesses. He taught them. And He fed them. He met their need, their hunger. You know, this, is, this is how we are to see and understand and know Jesus when He comes. Uh, that He comes ready to give food that will change and that will heal and that will bring true life. And, and that's his, his heart, His desire. He longs for people to come to Him to receive the food that He has to give, that which will bring eternal life, that which in, on, the, on this earth will bring healing and comfort and direction uh, and, and gifts that are needed for, for life and for ministry and purpose. That's why we, we read just a, a couple of chapters earlier 
those wonderful words of Jesus where he says, Come to me, you know, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the heart of the Lord Jesus. He sees the condition of people. He knows our frame. And He knows that spiritual need that we have deep down inside that has one way, one way to be satisfied. And so He says, Come to Me. Uh, I am the bread of life. Come, take, receive, feed on Me. So in this passage, we, we see the heart of Jesus. But not only that, we also see the means or the mechanism that He uses to provide this food. Uh, we see His, and I'm calling it His resource for giving us that food. Uh, and, and this really is amazing that the Lord works in this way. I often think about this, that, um, and we see this in what is it, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4, talks about the, the broken vessels uh, that we are. He uses that which is, is weak. He uses that which itself uh, is broken uh, and is, has been, has been blind and, and often still has the blinders on and, and is, if you think about the twelve disciples and what they, they did isn't neat in the way it goes about it. It says things that, that uh, are just stupid sometimes. Uh, that's what he uses. He uses that people and that's what we see. His resources means his disciples. It's his church. Now you can imagine uh, how things were going that day. There were a lot of people there. You can go to verse 21, the last verse in the passage. And those who ate were about 5,000 men. And Matthew chooses to tell us 5,000 men besides women and children. Uh, so what we're looking there, at, clearly, it's a, it's a picture of 5,000 plus. Many more. Was it six? Was it 7,000 more? Uh, we don't know exactly, but a lot of people. And so we see this picture, or you can think of it, Jesus moving throughout the people and, and teaching throughout the afternoon, healing uh, people. And as it got to be late afternoon, early evening, uh, you can imagine the, the disciples there, they, they feel some responsibility uh, because they're the, the close followers. It's their teacher who has them there. Uh, and so their followers come to Jesus and they say, uh, this is verse 15, you know, it was, it was the, the sun wasn't gone, evidently, but it was coming down. Uh, and the disciples said to, to, to Jesus, this is a desolate place and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages to buy food for themselves. You know, the, the, the disciples were just stating the obvious. There, there was an unplanned gathering that had happened. The people hadn't evidently planned for this. They had little or no food. And... Um, and so that they said, well, let's, let's send them away so they can get food for themselves. Uh, and of course, they thought that Jesus, he'll agree to that. That's exactly what he's going to do. He must, there is no other option. Verse 16, but Jesus said, 
they need not go away. You give them something to eat. And then we get this whole account of the miraculous feeding of the people. Now, notice here that we're, where the disciples saw a problem, just like we do. You know, we're problem solvers. We see a problem, uh, seek for uh, an answer. Well, Jesus saw an opportunity there, a teaching opportunity. Now, there are different understandings about everything that Jesus was teaching through this, uh, but there's one thing that's really clear in those words of Jesus and that is that when it came to feeding the people, to meeting their hunger need, that the disciples were given a role to play. And it wasn't minor. And it wasn't optional. You know, Jesus Himself came to the people with a heart of compassion for them, wanting to be with them, wanting to provide for them. But think about His twelve disciples. Think about how they so often in these instances are, are behaving. So often, they're in the role of keeping people away from Jesus. Uh, you know, think about the, the Canaanite woman who came to Jesus begging for mercy. Uh, and you know that account, the disciples begged Him to send her away. She's crying out after us. You know, she's bothering you. She's bothering us. Well, we've got important work here to do. Send her away. And even when it came to the people bringing the little children to Jesus, what the disciples did, they rebuked the people. And Jesus had to tell them, no, no, let the children come. Do not hinder them. And Jesus had this heart of compassion for the people, but it, it seems as if the disciples sort of saw themselves like the secret service uh, for the president. Uh, you know, they, they were engaged in looking out for problems, uh, keeping things running smoothly, and in their mind was protect, protect, protect. And so here they're saying, send the crowds away so that they can buy food for themselves. You know, not in a, in a negative way, but send them away. But Jesus teaches here that's not a disciple or that's not at the heart of a disciple and he says to them you feed the people he's saying you're involved in this this process of feeding in fact you're central to this and what's implied here is you must have the same heart for this people that I have for them and that's what we, we see that happens here. You can see as we go further that the, the disciples, uh, you know, Jesus took, took the loaves of, of bread and he, he broke them. There's a lot happening underneath that. But, and he, he broke them. And, and they went out to the people that were in these groups and they delivered the food to the people. And then we finally read verse 20, and they all ate. And we're satisfied. What it required was Jesus doing that work that only He can do. But then the disciples had this important role of, of delivering uh, that bread to the people. Who, what is that bread? Well, the bread, John chapter 6 again, is the bread of life. 
And the amazing thing that the Lord does is He entrusts that. He entrusts that, 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 that the bread of life to people, to disciples, that it might be delivered, that it might be provided. And, and this is clearly preparation, of course, for the twelve and for their role as, as apostles. You know, we can think of, of John chapter 21 and, and Peter as Jesus restores him. And what are the words that Jesus uses in order to restore Peter three times? Peter, feed my sheep. Peter, feed my sheep. Peter, feed my sheep. Now ask anyone that you know who is a believer how they came to know Christ. Ask, just say, I want to hear your story. Now the vast majority will tell you about a, a person or two or ten who in some way were instrumental in bringing this bread to them at a point at which they were hungry. They knew deep down inside that they had a hunger, that they had a great need, and that bread came to them and they received the food with gladness. It might have been by the preached word. At times it might have been an invitation to a Bible study. Uh, might have involved some show of compassion initially. And it's not that someone can't just pick up, pick up a Bible and begin to read uh, the Word of God and, and come to faith in that way. They, they can, and, and that does happen. But the normal means, the normal resource that the Lord makes available is the disciple of Christ. And He's saying here, you, you are central to this process of providing food that others might have their hunger met uh, you know, He, the Lord Jesus, He's going to be the source of food. He is what the people must have, but the means of delivering that food He has delegated to you. Uh, what, a, what a wonderful uh, understanding to have. So, we must have a heart of compassion like the Lord Jesus has in order to, to be in that role, to, to love others, expecting nothing in return. And the Lord's got a way of working that in us, doesn't He? Uh, but there's a variety of gifts that He uses throughout the body of Christ, just like a human body, uh, so that there's nothing that, that is left undone. There's participation at all ends. And there's uh, the Word which goes forth, the food that people need. So the question, how? How does this happen? How does, a, how does a disciple become equipped in that way to deliver the bread? How did they become a disciple in the first place? How does it all happen? How does a disciple become compassionate like Jesus? How do they become enabled to deliver bread? That gets us to the, the third part of of this, which is Jesus' miraculous work in, in giving that food. And, you know, this is really the thing, isn't it, that I think engages us so much in this story. I, I think this is part of why it, it's, it's there in all four gospel accounts. This is what Matthew clearly meant for us to see. You can see it in the way he put the words together, that Jesus does a work that is absolutely impossible. We're intended to see that and understand 
that. Uh, why? Because our hunger, our need is so great that it can only be met. And the things that the Lord Jesus wants to do in and through us can only be done via a supernatural power. And that can only come from God. And that's exactly what the Lord Jesus provides. And if we look back at, at the account, you know, the disciples, they make their point to Jesus uh, there in verse 17. You know, they're really, I think, trying to prove the impossibility of this. You know, they've got this massive crowd. We read at the end uh, how many were there. And they say, you know, and we, we learn another account, they found this from the people, from a child. We have only five loaves here and two fish. Impossible. Can't be done. There, there's, there's no way. Now, we're not given the details uh, we're not given how this happens. I, you may have thought through this account to try to understand. Uh, you know, were there many baskets that were just available and, and all those other things. We're not given those details. But what we are given is that the Lord ordered the crowds to sit down. They were in groups of 50 to 100 people. We see in another account, He took the five loaves. He took the two fish. He looked up to heaven. He gave a blessing. Thanksgiving to the Lord. And then He began to break the bread, to pass it out. Uh, what we see as we read this is sort of the absurdity of it all. You know, small portion, tiny portion, great numbers. Uh, and those key words. Verse 20 again, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over. There is no room left for any doubt about what happened here. You know, when the Lord works, He often uses something very commonplace. And, and that's what is involved here. It's, it, it's food and, and hunger that happen three, four, ten times a day, perhaps. But out of that, he's showing this great spiritual truth that our hunger, the deep spiritual hunger that we have inside can only be met by feeding upon Christ. You know, the need of the people was, was great. The disciples couldn't do anything about it. The, the people themselves couldn't do anything about it. They couldn't just conjure up food. But we see this wonderful picture of the Lord Jesus meeting that need in what is clearly a miraculous way. You know, a baby knows its need and it cries out. It's hungry. And so its need is taken care of. Every one of us as well and everyone who's out there in this world has a great need. And as we go through our lives, we come to an understanding that, you know what, I'm... I'm feeling that need in this way or I'm feeling that need in, in, in that way. And we can think back through our lives in ways that we have tried to fill that need at times. But what we need to know is that we have a great God to meet that need. And He works in magnificent ways. Ways that are beyond our ability to understand. 
you know, constantly, and we see this within the church, constantly uh, over time, I feel that it's especially now, but I know it's happened throughout time, there are attempts to bring God down, to make the Lord Jesus just like us, so that He's at our level, we can see Him, we can understand Him, we can personalize Him. And it's true. He did come in that way, fully man, yet also fully God. We have a, a great God, and we have a great need that's inside, and uh, our God is there, and He meets that need that we have. You know, there are some passages that help us uh, to have this, this understanding that we can't have a full understanding. Uh, they speak of God in these terms. One is, is a benediction that we often use uh, out of Ephesians chapter 3. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. Uh, you know, and you go back and you can, you can read through Ephesians chapter 1 and, and read about, about the, the provision of the Lord, all the spiritual blessings that He has provided that go far beyond what we could ever imagine or think. We can go to other places and the Lord Jesus says, John chapter 3, you must be born again to see the kingdom of heaven. There is a supernatural work that must be done inside of you. I must do it in order for you to, to be a part of the kingdom of heaven, to belong to me. We can see places that are back in, in prophecy that, that are looking forward to what the Lord is going to do. Places like Ezekiel 36, where Ezekiel says, the, the words of the Lord, and He says, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put My Spirit within you and cause you to walk in My statutes and be careful to obey My rules. You know, we're constantly trying to see things in such a way that we, we minimize these things. We minimize the great work that God must do and that God does do and that God has done, that He is a great God. And so, also, with our assurance of salvation, we're unable to have true assurance of salvation apart from the work of God, apart from what He has done. Uh, also, the faith that we need daily, again, is a supernatural work that He uh, that he provides. Reading from Ephesians chapter 3, the prayer of Paul, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love uh, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Spiritual gifts as well. Uh, we see there in a, 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 another place very similarly must come from God to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, 
and to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that cannot come apart from the supernatural work of God. And so what must we do? We must feed upon Christ daily. We must make Him central. We must recognize that we're constantly tempted to center ourselves upon this or upon this or upon this. But what has He given us? He has given us the power that surpasses all other power. And that's the thing that we must jealously guard above all else, which is Christ. So that where there is anything standing in the way, that we remove it, we return to Him, and we feed upon Him because He is the bread of life. He is that which we need. Please join me in prayer. Father God, we thank You for Your, uh, for your great provision for us. We thank You, Lord, uh, for Your heart for us. And that we can know, we can see uh, in Your Word that, that there's a longing there that we would turn to You, that we would trust in You not trusting on our own abilities, but trusting in that which You alone are able to do and have done. Lord, help us to have that faith. Help us to know that we are able to have that power at work within us. And therefore, Lord, uh, help us to be those who are fed, whose hunger is met, who are satisfied. And who are therefore able to be used in the kingdom work that you call us to. Uh, We do continue to pray for your help. Center us upon these things. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.